The Sports Industry Access Podcast, Episode 11. What attitude do you need to be able to compete in the Olympics? to another episode of the Sport Industry Access Podcast. I'm your host, Ed Bowers. My goal each week is to provide you a special guest who will inspire and encourage you to be the best you can be in your profession, especially if you're thinking about starting a career in the sports industry. I hope today's episode can be useful to you with regards to your interests and needs. Now, relating back to the show, today's special guest is Shane O'Brien. Shane is the current head teacher at the secondary school of the Jurumurai English Speaking School in Dubai. Before his teaching career, Shane was an amateur elite rower, representing New Zealand where he won a gold medal at the 1984 Los Angeles Olympics. That is why in today's episode we'll be discussing Shane's rowing career and what attitude you need to be able to compete in the Olympics to deliver success. Shane, it's a privilege to have you on the show. Please, can you share your sport career journey to the listeners? When did it all start? Um, I started when I was 13. I started rowing when I was 13, but I grew up in New Zealand. And, uh, well, I guess the focus was sport. Certainly, um, my studies were secondary to uh, anything sporting. That was absolutely anything. So I, grew, I actually grew up in a rugby league family, uh, playing family. But any sport, anything, anywhere, that's all we did. That's why we got up every morning. And um, I had the opportunity at 13 to try rowing at the school I was at, but it wasn't uh, like it was a state school. It was a school down the end of my road. Um, It happened to have some old boys and a teacher or two that were interested, and there was hardly any kids that rowed. There was a handful. So it wasn't like going into a big uh, major game structure like at an independent school in Britain or anything like that. There was only a few of us, and uh, it wasn't part of a big, big system. With regards to your rowing career, when was the moment when you decided to do it as a full-time commitment? Well, that's a funny question, because uh, you've got to remember that this was 30 years ago, and um, there was no such time as a full-time, no such thing as a full-time rower. Um, we, even when we were doing Olympics and World Championships, we'd still... We'd all move to the same city together. We would train before work and after work. Um, and we might work a shorter day, but we'd do that for three months. And then we'd have three months, as you would put it, full time where you're training and then you go overseas for probably six weeks and then you race at your world championships or, or big event. Um, so there was no such thing as a full time rower. We all had jobs. Um, but we're probably known as rowers, not teachers or builders or whatever we might have been. So just for the listeners out there, it, this was when rowing was amateur, not professional. Totally, yeah. So reflecting back to your time as a rower, how has the Olympics evolved compared to when you competed in Los Angeles? Oh, it's changed 180 degrees. Actually, Los Angeles, as you know from your studies, it was uh, the first taste of professional, well, not even professionalism, but commercialization in the Olympics. And people, 
there was it still was not professional, so nobody was getting paid for anything. It was still amateur, and you know the, the principle now still is: you win a gold medal, you don't win prize money, but the trappings that go with it are huge. So um, it was, in effect, a totally amateur sport. I know rowers now who are rowing in the GB team, and they're not getting rich, but they certainly don't have to worry, and they're totally funded. And if they need um, some physiotherapy, they'll get some physiotherapy that afternoon. If they need um, some sort of medical help, they'll get it. If they need any sort of support, educationally, psychologically, anything, um, it would be provided. If you need a car, it'll be provided. Um, we certainly never had things like that provided. And if we got a sore back, we'd have to either grit our teeth and keep going or pay out of our own pocket normally for any sort of physio. It was, it was still rare that it was on tap at that stage. So completely and utterly amateur, even to the point that one year um, we were going to have to contribute. We didn't in the end, but we were going to have to contribute to flights or whatever to get to our events. So... Wow. That's amateur. Now, relating back to today's main topic, what attitude do you need to be able to compete in the Olympics as an elite athlete? I just I think you need to have absolute belief and passion in what you do, and you just need to uh, have complete and utter determination to do as well as you can and go as hard as you can. You've got to have resilience and... Um, if you keep going and keep going, things happen. I was thinking about this before, actually. It's something someone said, not related to rowing, uh, life in general. Um, three rules. Find your passion. Work hard at it. Keep going. In those days, you're not, you're not, you're not aware of the trappings it might be or the lifestyle it might create, you, create, create for you. You did it because you loved getting up and doing it every day, and it's just in every pore of your skin and what you live and breathe. It's not about what you might get out of it, if you know what I mean. Absolutely. With regards to the build-up of the Olympics back in, like yourself, at Los Angeles, what sort of mind or frame do you need when preparing for an event like that? Well, again, I think perseverance. We actually, um, we had a talented crew, but we were slow uh, in our training sessions and uh, tr slow through all our time trials right up to when we were at the um, event itself we were still struggling to find form. So the, um, per, the, 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 the idea of perseverance and resilience, I think, is uh, maximum. I think confidence, confidence comes with, it's, all, it's well and good saying you've got to be confident in what you're doing, but confidence only comes with good performance. And if you're not putting times down or putting performances down that make you feel that you're actually doing it. Because rowing, in a way, is um, it's one of these sports... Well, you can measure it. And you know if you're going fast if you're, or if you're going slow. It's not um, like an invasion game where you might get a break or a lucky bounce of a ball. Um, you're either faster or you're not. And then it comes down to holding your nerve on the day and, and doing what you can do best. So it's, it's quite a controllable type of thing. And it's a bit of a science. Um, rather than a head-to-head. A, a -head. When you go out and race, you're making your boat far, go as fast as you can, can, and as I say, holding your nerve, because you can't do anything about the other guys. With regards to controlling the situation, did you and your team have a strategy? Yeah, we certainly had a race plan, and we had a race plan that was um, built around the, our own strengths of our crew. And, um, you know, we got, in quite simple terms, I guess, we had a very economical movement 
and we got better and better throughout the race. So we didn't go out with a hiss and a roar. We didn't we didn't race out of the blocks with a and trying to hang on. We built and built and built, and actually in our race we 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 were in fourth place, fifth place I think at, at halfway, and then rode through the whole field to win. So we were kind of by the time we got there, we were confident in our boat speed and the type of race that we could produce. So that when we were sitting fourth or fifth at halfway. We um, we knew what to do. Shane, looking back now, on a personal note, what did you enjoy the most from your rowing experience? Friendships. Friendships, camaraderie, and um, going through all of that with other people. And that's that, that bond. It's interesting. Um, in September, I went back to New Zealand and went to a reunion type thing and met up with a lot of friends, the people I'm closest to and feel the most comfortable with. I mean, I get on with the guys and our four that won. We're fantastic friends. But the people I really, really have a nitty gritty, really deep affection and bond with. Uh, A bunch of guys I rode with when I was 18, 19 in our club um, before we rode internationally. And that's just lifelong. And I don't think it's not a big thing you you go on about. It's just something that happens and and you get so tight. And it's one of those things, old friendships, when you've done something. And, you know, we didn't do any, we didn't beat the world. We just lived together and breathed together and, you know, followed our passion together. And we got such a tight bond. I see them now, I'll see them after two or three years and I walk through the door and it'll be, it's like I walked through yesterday. That's what's really important for me. That's the best thing I've got out of it. I think it more relates to life than sport itself. Relating back to your current job, how did you get involved in teaching? I needed something to do when I left school. It was not an intentional thing when I started. Um, fortunately, I think I've uh, got attributes that um, have made me a, a reasonable teacher and um have got the perseverance and determination to make something of it eventually when I decided to get a little little more serious about it, which was quite late in life, to be quite honest. It wasn't something that I picked up and thought I'm going to make a career of here. When I was 35, I still wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life as far as work is concerned. Did you have a defining moment when you realised reality that your rowing career was coming to an end in regards to the elite stage? Um, actually, no, I hung on there for quite a while and... Um, because it was just my, so much of my life, and I loved it so much. You know, teaching was a second, a secondary thing, as I said. That was the, uh, that was the um, filler in it, and um, it took a long time to uh, prioritise my career and my job over rowing. And I guess after rowing, when that started to subside, I, I actually wanted to have some fun and adventure for a while, and. Uh, I didn't get serious about my teaching career until very late on in life. There's one area I like to discuss with elite athletes in regards to how they cope with retirement. What advice would you give to any athletes at the moment who are thinking of that? And what advice would you give them? I think try and find something, again, that you're passionate about. Because I don't think, um, if that's why you're doing your sport, because you absolutely love it. And it's just, as I say, in every pore in your body, it's very difficult to match that again. And um, you struggle to match it, and it can be really, really difficult, really difficult. 
And uh, if you're not in a job, I could never do a job where I sell widgets for money. I need a job that I can believe in. I deal, you know, I deal with people and I can put my heart and soul into it. And if I ever get into situations where I can't put my heart and soul into it and I can't feel some um, intrinsic reward and satisfaction from what I'm doing, as I, as I did in rowing and what was important to me in rowing, um, then you really struggle. Really, really struggle. It's very hard to find anything to match it. With regards to transferable skills of, from your rowing career, how has it helped you with your role at the moment as a headmaster? I don't think... I was thinking about this before, actually. Do um, you know what? I think that the... I don't think... I'm not going to say anything like... Um, being personable or I, I guess being driven in a way but I think I'll go back to those words resilience and perseverance because you have to keep going um, being ahead is an interesting job because uh, everybody knows how to do it everybody's been to school everybody's got kids they know how to do your job and everyone tells you so so you're always and because you're dealing with kids which is everybody's prized possession, you're a real in the firing well, you're a real target for everybody, you're in the firing line. So you cop a lot of flack. So when I guess in your sport you're trading hard and things might not be going that well and you've just got to keep going and see light at the end of the tunnel, I think the main attributes that I've got that I think pay off for me in my job now are those perseverance and resilience and uh dealing with the difficult stuff and coming through the other end that is great shane i think we're at a great stage of the interview where i'd like to finish with the inspirational question what advice would you give to university students who are unsure what they want to do after graduation unsure with what they want to do after graduation can i go back to what i've said already yeah go ahead do something you believe in do something you're passionate about um if if you find you know if, if you're uh struggling to get what you want and you have to take something that perhaps is not your passion don't be satisfied with that um, you may have to put up and as I say grin and bear it for a while but don't be satisfied with that find what you really want to do and find what really um, gives you that intrinsic reward and that satisfaction otherwise um, life will be very very empty Shane that is great how can people interact with you um, yes, I've got a LinkedIn address. I've got I'm, I'm available through email anyway, any 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 form, and I'm happy for that to go through what you're doing it. Thank you very much, Shane. To all the listeners out there, all of Shane's links in regards to how you can contact him will be on my website page. Shane, it's been an absolute privilege. I've been lucky enough to be taught by you once upon a time. Thank you very much. Okay, pleasure, Ed. What a really interesting and inspiring career journey from Shane. What I learned the most from that interview was how Shane's rowing career indicates how sport has grown and developed in such a small period of time compared to when sport was very amateur to look at it now in the modern days where it's all professional. To all the sports students studying at this moment or is getting ready for next year, I hope you really apply some of the key points that Shane has mentioned into your own studies. 
At the end of each show, I like to finish with an inspirational quote from my guest speaker. This week, there are two key quotes, which you can apply to your lifestyle. Shane said, confidence comes with good performance. There are three rules in life. One, find your passion. Two, work at it. Three, keep going.